This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour two of Sportsnet today. Logan Gordon along with you on this Wednesday, May 31st. We are coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios for Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls. We have a simple solution to permanently stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They are all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Flew through hour one. Bradshaw Living News, the former Flames GM, now the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. We will continue to talk about that in hour two. Uh, coming up next segment, we'll do a little bit of the best and worst of Bradshaw Living during his time in Calgary. If you're listening live, feel free to send in your favorite or least favorite Brad Living move to 960-960. I'll give you some of mine, but we'll dive into the text line as well and see what Flames fans and listeners in this city might uh, remember of Brad Living during his tenure as the Flames GM. We talked to uh, also talked to Derek Wills, the Flames radio play-by-play voice here on Sportsnet 960. The fan weren't planning on talking to Living with Willsey, but... It uh, just worked out well that we had him booked for this Wednesday and got some reaction from Derek on the news of, of True Living heading to Toronto, a little bit of Flames offseason, and a little bit of uh, a Stanley Cup preview with Derek as well. So all of that available for you on the Hour 1 podcast. It'll be up shortly wherever you get your favorite podcast: Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. We're going to kick off Hour 2, telling you a little CFL, the Calgary Stampeders, and the BC Lions finishing off their preseason schedule on Thursday night in BC for an 8.30 kickoff. It's part of a doubleheader on Thursday. The Ottawa Red Blacks and the Toronto Argonauts uh, kicking things off at 5 o'clock Thursday afternoon. And then the Ticats, Alouettes, Riders, and Bombers finishing things off for the CFL preseason schedule on Friday. But a bit of a tricky turnaround for these Stampeders who are in BC this Thursday and then welcome BC into town next Thursday for their home opener at McMahon Stadium. This has uh, been a tough road for new uh, GM and longtime head coach Dave Dickinson to monitor for the Calgary Stampeders because you obviously want to get guys playing time. You want to work on some different things offensively, defensively, and on special teams. But you also don't want to show the playbook entirely to your opponent on week one and somebody that you'll probably be battling throughout the regular season in the BC Lions. So it shouldn't surprise many that the depth chart um, that the Calgary Stampeders released earlier today sees a couple of interesting names across the the O-line, some of the receiver positions maybe. See a couple players that you wouldn't expect, but, you know, the regulars are going to be out there. Jake Mayer 
gets the start at quarterback for the Calgary Stampeders. That's an obvious uh, non-battle in, in camp. You know that uh, number 12 is going to be the starter for your Stampeders, but you're going to work around the edges if you're the Calgary Stampeders. Obviously, position battles important, but trying to you know keep it as internal as possible for the Stamps, knowing that they have to play the BC Lions uh, a week from Thursday in their home opener. To get us caught up on all things Stampeders today, though, uh, very happy to give you uh, Wednesday, May 31st edition of the Stamps Report with our own Patrick Dumas. It's a travel day for the Calgary Stampeders. They head out to the West Coast to play their final preseason game against the BC Lions on Thursday night. Thursday's game will be a final look at game action for players trying to make this squad ahead of Saturday's cutdown. Not going to be a super veteran lineup heading out to BC Place, but Coach Dickinson says it's a chance to get one last look at some players trying to crack this lineup. To me, I guess preseason, you, you try to look at the guys uh, that you don't know about, but also understanding that if they play well, they can obviously take a job from the guy that's sitting there in front of them. We, we try to be as transparent as possible with our guys, meaning uh, some guys know, yes, it's your job to lose. Other guys, it's been, yes, you're a veteran, but it is certainly still free competition. And the players know who, which spots are, are, are those spots. And ultimately, we got to figure out who's going to make the team by performance, not only in this game, but in practice. One of those position battles to focus on Thursday night is in the secondary. Yeah, you'll have your standouts like Jonathan Moxie, Trey Roberson, and Brandon Dozier. But it'll be interesting to see what first-year players like Mark Anthony Anzag, Deshaun McNary, really show what they got on Thursday. As I thought both have had great camps and showed really well in their last preseason game against the Elks. But one of those vets in the secondary is Brandon Dozier. The seven-year CFL vet is playing in his third year with the Stamps. And our Matty Rose had a chance to catch up with him after practice. We are here with Brandon Dozier getting set for uh, your final preseason game. It's been the final practice of training camp. The guys seem to be in quite high spirits. Can you just tell us a little bit about the emotion of going through that final day of training camp and knowing what's on the horizon? Yeah, I mean, all the guys are lock, super locked in right now. You know, people are trying to make this team. So, you know, it's a very, uh, you know, it was a very focused practice for the last practice. And, you know, some of the rookies, this is they know this is their last opportunity. So um, the guys are going to come in hungry, ready to, to earn a spot on the team. You've been in that op- in that position before, trying to earn a spot. Yeah. Uh, can you describe what it's like to kind of go through that last practice and wonder if you've done enough? Yeah, I mean, this is the third team I've been on, so I've been in that situation a couple of times. But I I think back to Montreal when I first got into the league, and it was just, you know, it was like, in my head, it was like, I'm going to leave it all on the line. So, you know, when I got into that locker room after the game, it was, there was no doubt that I gave everything I could to make the team, so. I know you're a guy who prides yourself on special teams. We asked Dave Dickinson about it, but for guys trying to make this team, how important is that to impress on special teams? Because like a lot of the veterans on the Stampeders mm. roster, that's how they made their way getting yeah. into the league. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a three-phase game. So, you know, if you can be, uh, you know, an asset on two of them, you know, you have a way better chance to make the team. So I, I, that's one thing I always push to every single rookie is, you know, try to impress on special teams before you try to impress on offense or defense first. So you make a play there, you have a better chance of making, making the team than, than offense or defense. What's your favorite play or uh, situation on special teams? Um, probably, probably punt, and then the guy comes my way. <laughs> so you get to make the hit. Yeah, so um, that you know nobody tries to block me, but then again, I also like a double team too to try to beat it. So yeah, it, it just depends on the day. Shows well on tape, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, wanted to ask you, well, about this secondary. You got a lot of guys that are returning. Coach has a lot of options. You got a lot of faith in this. How nice is it to just kind of have relationships with that guy, with those guys already? 
Um, it, it, it's awesome, actually. You know, so everybody looks back to last year and it's like, man, you guys had so many different lineups. But when you look at it this year, it's actually a benefit, or it's a yeah, it's it, it's a lot nicer having guys that have had experience all on the field because everybody has seen things and you know how, know how to speak about you know what's going on. So um, it's 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 actually very beneficial to have that. You've played safety and Sam in this defense, which kind of can be interchangeable at points with the Stamps defense. Yeah. Titus Wall is another guy who looks to have a role there. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about your relationship? And, and what's kind of needed to be that tandem? Um, really, yeah. I mean, we actually have a, um, a good relationship. You know, we talk a lot, especially in meetings and stuff, because with those two positions being interchangeable, me and him always have to be on the same page. So whether it's Titus, Kobe, or whoever's at Sam, you know, it's always, uh, um, you know, that, that relationship is, is critical to the defense because being in the middle, you know, if we crack in the middle, the edges aren't going to be set. So um, that relationship is everything. Yeah, Dozier knows exactly what you need to do to make it in this league, and I thought the part about being good in two of the three phases of the game was bang on. Dozier, even though he's in the seventh year of the league, still plays on cover team on the kickoffs, and he made a big play against Edmonton that I thought really turned the tide in that win. Over on the offensive side of things, Jake Mayer will be the starting quarterback, and he'll have a solid set of receivers to work with, and one of those guys is Luther Hakunavanu entering his third year in the CFL, and coaches liked what he's seen out of the former York Lion. I think he's had a good camp, uh, so I don't want to downplay that he hasn't done his job and done well, um, moved him around. I, I, in my mind, I feel like uh, he's a, a weapon on offense, try to keep him on the field in multiple positions, but I don't like you know necessarily having guys on, off, on, off. Uh, I think he has got some improving to do, and even in the sense of just consistency, doing it over and over and over. So I guess we'll see how it plays out, but I, I, I definitely think he has performed well in camp. Luther pairs well with the other Canadian starters in this core, and alongside Americans Reggie Bagleton and Malik Henry, Jake Mayer is going to have quite the options to work with come week one. One of those battles to watch all camp has been the rookie receivers. Cole Tucker and Clark Barnes have been great, and I think they have a chance to be real good players in this league. And Rice and John still learning the Canadian game, all six six of them, but he's getting a lot of work on special teams, and especially on the blocking game, Dozier mentioned earlier, you need to find a spot on this team, you're going to have to play well on special teams. And one of the best parts of the return of the CFL season is the return of our weekly chats with Coach Dave Dickinson, who now adds the title of general manager to his CV. And Wednesday was our first chat with Dave. Here's a little snippet of that conversation from earlier. I was talking to Brandon Dozier yesterday after practice, and we were talking about the importance of special teams, and especially right now. Like He's a guy who cut his teeth on special teams, got him a job, kept him on the defense, and he still excels at special teams now. But how important is that going to be in this final preseason game for guys trying to make this roster? Well, I mean, especially... uh... Starters, a lot of them still play. I mean, Doge made the big special teams play last week. He only played one play the whole game. Uh, And he understands that he caused a fumble and really got us going on that. It's huge. And uh, we've used everybody in the past, uh, starting receivers, starting running. Kadeem has a blocked punt for uh, for a touchdown. So, I mean, it's not like we don't use our guys. It's a little bit of, you know, I guess risk-reward. Reggie broke his arm on special teams, Reggie Bagleton. Uh, so, you know, and you're like, darn, we should have maybe been a little more cautious. But yeah. when we play with 45 guys, we have 24 basically starters. You have a kicker punter and a hole, or excuse me, and a snapper that kind of, and then you have your three quarterbacks. So if you take that out, you really are still using a lot of your starters. And, and guys that are versatile, they can do more than one thing. Those are the guys we're going to keep. 
Head coach and GM Dave Dickinson will join the big show every Wednesday morning in the 7 o'clock hour throughout the season. It's a travel day to Vancouver on Wednesday ahead of their final preseason game Thursday night against the BC Lions. That's an 8.30 p.m. kickoff. You'll be able to stream it for free over on CFL.ca. Final cuts are expected sometime Saturday ahead of the 8 p.m. deadline, but there's a chance the Stamps could make their cuts sooner as they have a short turnaround getting ready for their Week 1 tilt against BC next Thursday back at McMahon Stadium. With your Stamps report, I'm Patrick Dumas. Thank you, Patty. Uh, yes, the return of the Stamps report uh, this week on Sportsnet Today. You can also hear it uh, during the morning show as well with the guys, Matt Rose and Patrick Dumas, bringing you your Stampeders reports as the season gets underway. Mentioned it uh, earlier before the Stamps report. Yes, final preseason game for the Stampeders comes up on Thursday night in BC against the Lions, 8.30 kickoff. The uh, CFL streaming their preseason games on their website at cfl.ca if you want to watch that one and then uh, not all that far to go. Thursday, June 8th, 7 p.m. Uh, the Jake Mayer era officially begins for the Calgary Stampeders. They're taking on the Lions in week one. Get out to McMahon Stadium. Weather's been great this uh, early summer for the uh, Calgarians. And make sure you uh, go out and support the Stampeders uh, when they kick off their season. Jay McNeil, obviously new president of the Stampeders, uh, offering up a lot of different fan options to make the experience better at McMahon Stadium. So uh, go check it out. Should be a great season for the Stampeders and really uh, going to be an interesting one. Obviously, I think you have to give the respect to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, uh, bringing back as many pieces as they have from a team that's been to three straight great cups. But I can't see any reason why this Stampeders team shouldn't be able to contend in the West. I think Edmonton's still full of question marks there. Uh, with the Elks, but we know Chris Jones' teams tend to get better as you know he continues to work through and put in his systems there. Saskatchewan, to me, is a major, major question mark uh, now that Cody Fajardo is gone. I, can Trevor Harris be the guy there with Jason Moss out in now in, in Montreal? I, I don't know what to make of Saskatchewan. They've got lots of talent there, but is Trevor Harris the guy to get it done? Uh, is there another option in Saskatchewan if if Harris starts to falter? There's going to be a lot of questions around the the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and for the BC Lions. Uh, you know it, it's been tough for them. They had a generational player at quarterback last year who's now moved on to the NFL. They supplemented that by going out and getting a, an experienced CFL starter in Vernon Adams Jr. But he hasn't won a great cup. He hasn't had major success during his time in the league either. He'll be joining a very good coaching staff. He's got a very good balance there in, in BC. But again, still a lot of question marks when it comes to that. And then you look at the four teams out east, the Toronto Argonauts uh, going with a new face at quarterback, the Red Blacks hoping that Jeremiah Masoli can be healthy, the Alouettes, we talked about their quarterback swap with the Rough Riders. They're going to put their faith in Cody Fajardo and that perhaps getting in front of a better offensive line in Montreal is going to solve some of his problems. And now there's Calgary East, AKA the Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, with Bo Levi Mitchell leading things on offense and Jameer Thurman leading things on defense. Can Bo be that MOP style quarterback that the Hamilton Tiger Cats are banking on him being? Um, you always wonder for the Stampeders, the such good talent evaluators and Dave Dickinson and, and John Huffnagel, when they move on from a player, if he can still go, we've seen different examples of it. Charleston Hughes was a guy that the Stampeders moved on from who had a, 
a great history with this team, but was still able to have some productive years down the stretch with other organizations, the Ticats, certainly banking that Bo Levi Mitchell can do that and hopefully get them over the hump to a great cup. They've been close a couple of times now uh, with Dane Evans and Jeremiah Masoli a few times there, but just haven't been able to uh, to reach that ultimate goal that they've wanted. Uh, Bo Levi Mitchell and a lot of the free agents that they brought into Hamilton expecting big things out of the Ticats. I think they would easily be your favorites out east battling with the Toronto Argonauts, but a lot of interesting questions going on this CFL season. One more week of preseason to go, like I mentioned this week. Doubleheaders on Thursday and Friday before week one action. Week one featuring games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Thursday, you got the Lions and the Stamps. Friday, Hamilton and Winnipeg. Battle uh, on uh, in Montreal Saturday afternoon, Ottawa and Montreal. And the week ends off in Edmonton, Sunday, June 11th, week one action. Saskatchewan in Edmonton. Can the Elks finally pick up a win at home? It's been a very, very long time. And if I know Riders fans uh, as well as I think I do, I know there's going to be a lot of uh, Rider green out in Edmonton for that first game. So it'll be a tough atmosphere for the Elks to try to pick up their first home win in a long time. Either way, really looking forward to CFL action. Excited for the season to get going. we got one more week of preseason before it all begins for real. Let's take a break. Let's come back on the other side. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while. Brad Treliving is the new GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs after nine seasons in Calgary. If you're a Leafs fan, you're going to want to listen into this. The best and worst of Brad Treliving during his tenure in Calgary. Now that he's officially moved on to a new team, we're going to look back at some of the best moves that Brad made here in Calgary, and we're going to highlight some of the worst moves that he made during uh, his time in Calgary. You can chime in on the fan feedback line, 960-960, if you're listening live. We're going to dive into that next as Sportsnet Today continues here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, we are closing out the final hour of the show, that show being Sportsnet Today. I'm Logan. She's Taylor. He's Cam. Following the news of the day, Brad Treliving says to become the 18th general manager in the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs after a nine-year run as GM in the Calgary Flames. He will be introduced to the Toronto media Thursday morning and immediately get to work trying to do with the Toronto Maple Leafs really what he was trying to do with the Calgary Flames in a lot of ways, and that's find a way to take a team from mediocre playoff success to Stanley Cup contention. And he'll have a different cast of names and different resources, obviously, to use in Toronto, but the challenge remains the same for Brad Treliving. We're set to take a look at some of the best and worst moves of Brad Treliving's tenure during his nine years here in Calgary, and uh, you're welcome to join in uh, at 960-960 for those of you listening live. Uh, if you want to you know, change it down a bit to your favorite or least favorite moves, then we can go ahead and and dive into it that way, but before we get into that, just wanted to look ahead for you know what the offseason looks like for Brad Treliving now that he takes this job in Toronto. He does have a first-round pick at this year's draft. It belongs to the Boston Bruins. 
uh, from a trade back on February 28th that uh, it was a way around. Eventually, it started off with Boston getting Craig Smith or moving Craig Smith uh, to Washington. They got a first-round pick for that. Washington eventually used that first-round pick um, to uh, to acquire Rasmus Sandin. So uh, originally, Boston's pick through Washington back to Toronto. So they do have a first-round pick. They don't have any picks in rounds two, three, four, or seven. So just three potential draft picks for Brad for living at his first draft with the Maple Leafs. Of course, Austin Matthews, the leader of the big four in Toronto, um, and his contract status will be a big uh, talking point in Toronto uh, as he has just one year remaining on his contract. Two years left for Mitch Marner and John Tavares. One year left for William Nylander and a slew of UFAs that need to be decided on for Brad Treliving, including Nola Chari, Zach Aston-Reese, Michael Bunting, David Kampf, Alex Kerfoot, Ryan O'Reilly, and Wayne Simmons on the front end. On the back end, Eric Gustafson, Justin Hole, and uh, Luke Shen. Goaltending uh, is signed up uh, at least into next season. Matt Murray still has one year left uh, on his deal at $4.687 million. Ilya Samsonov is a restricted free agent with arbitration rights. So no shortage of decisions uh, and major ones coming down the pipe in Toronto for Brad Treliving. That's nothing new to Brad, though. He's made notable moves during his time in Calgary. Obviously, the latest and the one that most people are judging Brad on based on his time in Calgary was the massive trade between the Florida Panthers and the Calgary Flames. And the biggest thing that I'll say to that is I'm not ready to to fully judge Tree on that yet. I don't think that that story has been written yet. Has it started off great for the Flames? Nope, absolutely not. Huberto had a massive down year. I think Uyghur picked things up as the year went on. We don't know what Cole Schwint is. There's still lots to be determined. Matthew Kachuk's obviously had a great start. It might culminate in a Stanley Cup for him with the Florida Panthers. But that's that's one year of this. So let's not make this entire conversation about that. Again, has it been a great start? No, I don't think anyone's arguing that. But to, to solely base Brad's tenure and, and some of these moves that we talk about just on that train, I, I don't think is fair. Uh, again, 960-960, some of your favorites or least favorite moves uh, from Brad Treliving as he is set to uh, take over as the Toronto Maple Leafs GM. Uh, I'll go back to uh, when Brad originally joined the organization. The Flames had missed the playoffs in five consecutive seasons at the time Treliving was hired in late April 2014. Um, he was pretty quiet on the trade front his first season as GM, but I'll take you back to um, adding two second-round picks, an additional third uh, by trading Curtis Glencross to Washington and then Sven Berchi to Vancouver ahead of the 2015 trade deadline. Uh, that offseason saw a massive move for Brad Treliving that uh, still to this day I think has been one of his better trades and one that um, I think could have gone differently. Maybe fans look at differently as well. Um, but that was also the year that Dougie Hamilton 
uh, was acquired from the Boston Bruins in exchange for a first and two second round picks. Uh, those picks wound up being Zach Sension, Jacob Forsbacker Carlson, and Jeremy Lausanne uh, in 2015. I would say that's a definite highlight. Dougie, for different reasons, I don't think ever reached the heights that we expected here in Calgary, but I, I certainly look back at, at Dougie Hamilton as a great move by by Brad Living to bring in a young up-and-coming defenseman with tons of offensive potential. I, I still think Dougie got a bit of a rough ride here in Calgary. He, for the size that Dougie is, he doesn't play that physical type game, but man, what a skater, the offensive skills that he had, still something I think about in Calgary and still one that I wonder uh, what could have been if he had stayed longer, but he was also part of another major trade that Brad made, one that still affects the Flames today, and that's a move that I think almost everybody would put in the positive side for Brad for living, and that was acquiring uh, Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm from the Carolina Hurricanes in exchange for Michael Furland, Dougie Hamilton, and the signing rights to Adam Fox. Michael Furland never reached the heights again outside of Calgary that he did during that playoff run against the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, A lot of it having to do with injury, and certainly that cut his career way, way short. Um, but the Flames moved on from a player that, again, I don't think ever reached those heights again. You gave up a good player in Dougie Hamilton, absolutely, but you picked up a guy who would be your number one center going forward. Noah Hannafin's been a top four piece for this team since he entered uh, the Flames lineup, and Adam Fox is what it is. Adam Fox was moving off of a guy who told you, I'm not signing with your, your organization, so... Carolina got told the exact same thing and eventually had to ship him off to New York. And we know what the story's been ever since then, but for Brad Living, you know, to use that as a piece in one of the most successful Flames trades that, again, is still having a major impact on the team today, I would think that's a positive move for a lot of Flames fans to look back on. Um, the Milan-Lucic-James Neal trade is one that's been brought up a couple times uh, here. And that's funny because that's a, you know, that's a, a two-way street there, right? Because to make that trade, you had to have a bad contract. And Brad put himself in that spot by signing James Neal to a bad contract. I, I think when I look at the, the James Neals, the Michael uh, or the, excuse me, the Troy Brower, you know, some of the free agent moves that didn't work out as successfully during Brad's tenure. I take it back to some of those swing and miss trades that we talked about during his time as GM. I think Brad was always on the forefront of trying to acquire players, but a lot of times came up short and that forced him to look in other areas for solutions like free agency, and sometimes, as we've learned, those can be major mistake points. James Neal and Troy Brower did not work out anywhere near, uh, not even minimally compared to to just general free agent signings that we've seen. They were disastrous signings by all accounts. And had you been able to swing a trade for a top six forward sooner than that, maybe you wouldn't have had to go to the well of free agency to do that. So yes, well, I do think the Milan Lucic trade 
does wind up being a good piece of work for Brad for living. It, it became necessity because of a bad piece of work from Brad for living in signing James Neal to that contract. And I just, I go back to that year with James Neal here in Calgary and even Oilers fans can sit here and say, man, it was just, that guy had nothing left in the tank. There just wasn't anything that fit here. Didn't work with Johnny was never the same offensive player, the superstar that we thought he was going to be. Yeah, not uh, not one on the, the win side for Brad Living uh, on that one for sure. Uh, some other moves that Brad made as far as trades, we'll dive into some of the signings here too as well. Uh, Sam Bennett to the Florida Panthers uh, for Emil Heineman and a second round pick uh, is an interesting one. Now, it's interesting from the the sense of, too, I I should say the Bennett one is, I do think it was time to move on from Sam Bennett because organizationally you couldn't give him anything else, but it does hurt to see him like Matthew or like any other player, you know, going out and having that sort of success somewhere else. Do I think it was going to happen here in Calgary as we've talked about a lot? No, I don't think that was going to ever be the case. Um. Other good trades when it comes to Brad Living's tenure. I think Dan Vladar for a third-round pick has been an outstanding move for Brad Living in the Calgary Flames organization. I looked at the Tyler Toffoli trade as one that's worked out very well so far for the Calgary Flames. Yes, they gave up a first-round pick uh, and Emil Heineman plus a, a couple of other lower-round picks, but I think Tyler's uh, coming off the season that he had in Calgary, I think you can say has been a great fit organizationally here for the Calgary Flames and will be an interesting piece to watch going forward too. If he's a long-term piece here, is he a trade chip for Craig Conroy? I still think that one worked out well uh, in the end for a Flames team that needed that scoring presence. And man, imagine where the Flames would have been this last season had we gone back and not seen uh, Tyler Toffoli in that spot scoring all those goals for the Calgary Flames. I invited you to be part of this on the text line at 960-960, some of your favorite and least favorite moves from Brad Living during his tenure. Uh, we'll dive into some of those texts now. Uh, let's see here. Um, we'll start with this one just to, to clear this up for this texter. This one said, uh, I thought Brad was still under contract with Calgary until the end of June, uh, or did Calgary let him start uh, elsewhere sooner? Yeah, the Flames did give him permission to. Um, to begin speaking to other teams and obviously have let him uh, get to that point with <clears throat> with uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, yeah, was still under contract till the 30th of June, but the Flames uh, moved out of the way so that he could uh, interview and, and look at jobs around the league, which led him to this job with Toronto. Uh, okay, some more of these texts here. Mistakes, favorite moves, all from the Brad Living era as he uh, gets set to take over in Toronto. This one says, uh, mistake signing Neil, not locking up Kachuk, low-balling Johnny, and trading the highest-drafted flame for a bag of pucks. He was aggressive on the trade front, but overall, not great. Uh, this one says, Tree's worst move was easily not signing Matthew Kachuk to a long-term deal, making him captain, and said it was a bridge. Not a great move. He was the best pick in Flames history, probably since Joe Neuendike. Uh Our pal Darren texting in says, when looking back at Tree's tenure, I can't help but see how he left this organization in such shambles. 
You made some decent moves when you failed to solidify your two top assets prior to the contract years. You completely failed, in my opinion. His lack of asset management, letting go of players for nothing. It was time to move on. Still heartbreaking to look back at what could have been had he properly done his job. Looking forward to Connie riding the ship. Uh, let's see here. This one says, uh, in my opinion, Brad did a terrible job when it came to retaining the players that were drafted by this team who are now stars on other teams. Matthew should have been signed to a long-term deal, not a bridge contract. Matthew himself said the only reason that was the case was because of salary cap issues at the time. That's called poor management. Johnny Gaudreau should have been signed long-term before the end of the season. Only reason he didn't sign was because he was playing hardball with them. Then it was too late. It also looks like Sam Bennett didn't need to be traded. Said he was surprised he got moved after Daryl Sutter was hired. Uh, a couple other ones here. Uh, duh, 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 duh. Uh, if Trilliving's entire body of trades are considered, the standing show the Flames are close to where they were when Trilliving took over. He hasn't been a game changer. Uh, this text says, um, Neil Ferlucci's best deal tree ever made. How about snatching Tanev and Markstrom from Vancouver? That'll go down as one of the best signings, absolutely, I think, in, in Brad Trilliving's tenure, getting Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanev. Not only, as that text points out, you know, bringing them in from Vancouver and taking them from a, a division rival, but think about how much those two have meant to this team the last couple of years. And I know, I, I believe me, I know, I've read the texts, I've read it on social media, I've I lived it from the press box. It was not a banner year for Jacob Markstrom last year, but I think as a whole, his tenure in Calgary has been great. You signed a starting goaltender for $6 million a year, and it didn't cost you any assets. And you stole him from a divisional rival. That's a huge win in any other circumstance, if we're not looking back at just what last year is. And if Jacob bounces back to league average or slightly above league average goaltending again, we're still going to look at that deal and say what a great one it was by Brad Living. And the Chris Tanev one, despite some injuries of late, has been a home run, slam dunk, whatever you want to call it, knocked it out of the park signing by Brad Living. He has been a defensive stalwart and a leader in that locker room from day one. The Chris Tanev signing, without a doubt, is a huge win on Brad Living's resume, without a doubt. Um, this one says, looking back, uh, the Monaghan trade for a first and getting nothing back. Yeah, look, that one's tough. Uh, that's a, a, a move that you're, you're never going to win those trades, and then the organization that Brad's going to has one of those on the books as well when they had to move out Patrick Marlowe simply for, for salary considerations to Carolina, and it cost them a first-round pick as well. Um, sometimes that's just the, the cost of doing business. It doesn't make it any easier. You know you're, you're taking it in the teeth as far as the trade goes, but you're kind of looking at the asset that you bring in to hopefully – ease some of that pain. I don't know that Nazem Kadri did that as well as maybe he could have this year. I mean, there's still a potential for that one to turn around for sure and for him to to make it a little bit easier. But yeah, as far as the the trade uh, you know, specifics to Montreal, you were never winning that one. It was a salary dump that cost you a first round pick to move out. That's as far as a trade goes, it's it's as easy a loss as anyone. 
Uh, this one says if Sutter would have given Matthew the C, he'd still be here. Um, this, this text says not being able to sign a number one goalie, then overpaying Markstrom term and AAV. Don't, I, I don't agree with that one. I, I will go back to what I said a few moments ago. I still think you picked up a starting goaltender for $6 million on the market away from a divisional rival. Uh, didn't cost you any assets outside of the organization. Again, yes, last year was bad for Jacob Markstrom, but the year before that, which everyone conveniently forgets about, was a, a Vesna finalist year for this guy. And at any other stage, if you got that for $6 million straight off the free agency market, uh, you'd be running and telling all your friends about what a great trade it, or what a great signing it was. So I, I'm, I'm still not... I know people are still upset about the Jacob Markstrom year and that it wasn't what it could have been, but, I mean, don't tell me that at $6 million and one bad year that it's all sour for Jacob Markstrom and the Flames, and that's a bad signing because I just can't... I, I won't get behind that. Uh, on the other side of things, of course, there's going to be one's um, free agent signings, too, that, that don't work out. Um Troy Brower was one of them. That was a four-year, $18 million contract. We talked about that. Not working out. Um, some people have mentioned Mason Raymond. Uh, May signed a three-year, $9.45 million deal back in 2014 uh, as a member, a former member of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, that one was costly for sure. Uh, the James Neal one, yes, is, is a very obvious one. Five years. $28.75 million for James Neal that he signed July 2nd, 2018 with came with a $5.75 million uh, cap hit. One of the highest ones that Brad has ever signed. Um, going back to what Wilsey said now, or one, two, one of the strong suits for Brad, definitely as we look back on his tenure, has been uh, some of his RFA signings, getting guys back on, on new contracts. Um, I think that Mackenzie Weger trades or excuse me signing is going to look like a pretty good one. Um, Dougie's deal when he came into Calgary was a six-year deal at five point seven five million. That's a, a steal of a deal. Hannafin's coming in at a good deal still at four point nine five. Lindholm even less than that. Lindholm's at four point eight five. Uh, you're not getting that kind of value for a number one center anywhere else. That's uh, just simply been one of the best pieces for him. And then there's some other lower down signings that I think have been impactful, but maybe not, you know, game changers. I thought Derek Ryan was a good pickup back in 2018 for his time here. Derek England was a 2014 signing. I want to say that uh, came with a lot of head scratching because it was a three-year deal, but Derek was a tremendous member uh, of the Calgary Flames before he was selected by Vegas in the uh, expansion draft. There's less successful ones. Curtis Lazar coming to Calgary was a less successful one and being re-signed. Um, the list goes on and on. Uh, a couple more here, too, on the text line at 960-960 as we wrap things up. <laughs> this was, this is a tough one, Cam. So sour a tree. I won't even eat at BP's anymore. Nice to move on from the guy. Happy to see him uh, as the next failure in Toronto. Are we boycotting Boston Pizza? I guess so. I think they they did put a tweet out saying, oh, what does it say? How they were so happy to see a tray living at the helm. 
what did they say? Congre- yeah, so they quote tweeted what the Leafs when the Leafs put out the statement, and they said, "Congratulations, life is good with the tray living at the helm." And so maybe we do have to boycott eating at Boston Pizza. But Boston Pizza is so good. Boston Pizza is pretty delicious. Is it though? Yeah, it's it good. It is fine dining. I'm not Cam. here to bash Boston. Fine pizza. dining. It is not fine dining. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hold anybody hostage if they don't want to go back to to Boston Pizza if they feel slighted but I think you might be missing out um it's a good good game night place to go <laughs> or great... like super late nights when you're out and just need to have some food go to BP's with be, your friends be gentle text line it's always somebody Boston Pizza is horrible. Has any have you ever horrible? Have you ever heard anyone say, "Hey, let's go to Boston Pizzas tonight"? Me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too much they Boston got some Pizza. Good it's food. fine. It's I'm not. Like, we're not saying it's <laughs> Michelin star food, but I'm not saying it's a boycott it either. It's it's good for a quick bite. You know, when you don't have anywhere else to go, you're like, "Let's go to BP's." Someone's like the Bandera bread is solid. This one says the cactus cup potatoes are the bomb. There's some great food at Boston. Got pizza. some good food. They had like Whatever a this have. pesto <laughs> penne pasta thing that was really good. It's a, a spicy. Give me a spicy pierogi pizza any day of the week. A classic. Spicy pierogi. Yep. Interesting. Uh okay. So <laughs> the only thing good at BPs is the big glasses of beer. Real text line. So aggressive. So anti-Boston pizza here. They do have good deals on beer sometimes. So give them that. Uh, okay. My boss would be happy if I read some actual hockey texts. Um, yes, no signing for Kachuk. I get it. Uh, this one says, Trey made some good moves for this team, but the bad moves really screwed up the franchise. Letting Gio go for nothing, bridging Kachuk, not signing Kachuk, or not signing Goudreau when he could have. He represented the city and the team well, but those bad moves really cost them. Uh, what does this one say? Um, this text says, Kevin Woodley says, by advanced metrics, Markstrom should have won at least one Vesna, if not two, while he was in Vancouver. Even if Markstrom never gets back where he was two seasons ago at the time, Markstrom was deserving of that contract and was a great signing. Uh, I agree with that. I still think getting a starting goaltender on the free agent market at $6 million is a, is a win. Um, people says people need to lay off of Markstrom. Uh, I've played on teams with toxic co- toxic coaching it destroys everything. The team quit playing for Sutter. Bottom line, can't wait to see how we play next year under a coach that isn't miserable. Shalimi did a decent job with the cards he was given under the ownership group uh, that we have here. Um, uh, our pal Dylan and Revy texting in says I crap all over Brad's tenure for good reason, but I'll defend uh, the Neil signing to the death. The team had been begging for a 20-goal right winger for many years. For Johnny and Monty, he got exactly what the team needed on paper. It wasn't Tree's fault that Neil stopped giving an ass. Fair enough. Um, more on the Boston pizza front. Uh, this one says, haven't gone to BP's in 15 years. Awful. So many better places to go. Cactus cut potatoes are delicious, I guess. Not I guess. They are good. Do you guys know the first ever Boston pizza was in Edmonton? The yeah, first that's why you don't Boston like it. pizza was in Edmonton? That's first sad. one opened its doors as Boston Pizza and Spaghetti House in Edmonton in 1964. It's been a while. So it's a Canadian classic then. 
Some classics don't age that well, man. Boston Pizza is the place you take your young kids. True. Uh, Taylor, <laughs> Taylor's trying to convince uh, year-end rap parties <laughs> to go to BP. Am I the only one who had these year-end rap parties for your sports at BP's? Like, after I remember vividly after my senior year soccer game, our finals. We all just went to BP's and had a lovely dinner. I want to say we went to like Boston Pizza or something. No, 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 we went to Boston. We went to like Pizza Hut. I feel like that was the move, but maybe. Hmm. <laughs> I can't. You can't just send in your specific bad Boston pizza experiences. I can't read them on the air. This one text is literally about a specific location. I can't do that. I'd love to, but I just can't do that. Uh, well, here's, here's complaining, complaining. Is your whole show just reading text? No, 20 minutes has been going through moves and including the text line in it. So, uh, complaining, complaining at, uh, eight, six, eight, one. Uh, it's including your listener base in the radio show. There's lots of people texting in on the topics that we've been talking about. So I'm going to read them and, and bring them in as part of the show. It's what we do here on radio. Somebody said um, that they should take the milk sponsorship off and make it BP sponsored. That'd be funny if they did that. I wonder if that's a conflict of interest to have Brad's teams sponsored by Boston Pizza. They just put a big BP logo on the, the Maple Leafs helmets now. I saw the tweet earlier today. He didn't do it today. in Calgary, so why would he do it there? <laughs> I saw this tweet earlier where it's like the IRS trying to figure out why Austin Matthews is hired as a part-time associate at Boston Pizza with a $10 million salary. Hmm. I think the sponsorship would work out. See, Dubas had some wild ways of circumventing the cap where you're, he would make moves and you're questioning everything because how does it work out? This is how Bradtree Living is going to do it. He's going to launder some money through BPs. Maybe. Uh, okay, quickly, a couple of texts to get out of here on this Wednesday, uh, which will really make that one text really upset. That's too bad. Uh, this one says, uh, yes, Dan and Cochran, Pizza Hut Buffet. That's exactly where we went for our wrap-ups. Uh, this one agrees with Taylor hockey wrap up at BPs all the time. This one just says, hi, Taylor BPs rocks. Uh, Rondell says, I'd rather pour battery acid in my eyes than eat at Boston <laughs> pizza. Rondell. I think that you're a bit dramatic. Uh, this one says BPs is good for the following reasons. You know what you get. It's always consistent. It's in every oil town. I always travel to and always has sporting events on. That's a good point. You don't have to guess what's on the TV at BPs. Um, now everyone's going to be the Leafs game. Texty McTexty still upset saying I'm mailing it in on a Friday. You have no idea how I mailed it on a Friday's 8681. Uh, so watch me on this Friday mail it in. Uh, more on BPs later. Uh, we're running out of time. Haley has to get to her show. Uh, that's coming up next. Uh, you can get mad at Haley for reading text and enjoying that we have listeners and people to engage with uh, on the program. Just kidding. Be nice to Haley. She's the best. Uh, she's got Hockey Central 960 coming up around the corner. You don't want to miss it. I'm sure more reaction to the Brad Treliving news. Uh, and also a check-in on Nashville uh, as they're set to make a big coaching change with Barry Trotz as their new general manager. Thank you to Patrick Dumas for the Stamps Report today. Thanks to Derek Wills for hopping on with us in Hour 1. Thank you for listening, whether live or on the podcast. Even you, 8681 who's complaining that I'm reading texts and having fun with people listening. I appreciate you for listening. I also appreciate my outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor, for all their hard work on this Wednesday. We will be back tomorrow, same time, same place, 
Another edition of Sportsnet today, wrapping up here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.